this open too because I'm going to have to get there. Um, so uh, I like I you you study the scripture and it's just so great, especially as a pastor, because you run into things that like give you justification. It's really nice, you know what I'm saying? I mean, here's Peter and he says halfway through the book, finally. Yeah, well, there's two more chapters to go. You know what I'm saying? So I, I often do that. I, you know, I'll say like, okay, this is my last thing. It's, it's really my first of my last five things. But anyway, so um, in uh, this, he has built all the way up to chapter 3, verse 8. You're going to have to go back and read everything that precedes uh, chapter 3 and uh, you know, look at what he's saying when he comes to the point and says, finally, all of you be of one mind, right? So, so right, it starts out particularly, we've been through slaves, we've been through employment, essentially, and then we've, you know, beat the wives up, verse 1 of chapter 3 through verse 6, and then, you know, soundly smacked uh, the husbands, because, I mean, how in the world are you ever going to love anyone like Christ loved them? Uh, and then we come to finally, all of you, so collectively, do you call yourself a believer? Everybody. So if you didn't have your attention before, if he offended you and your heart was turned away, or if you were just concentrating on your spouse and thinking, yeah, she should, he should listen to this. You know, now he gets to all of us. Finally, be of one mind. Now, if you're the guy or the gal that's sitting out there thinking, finally, the scripture has told everyone that they should think like me. Um, no, uh, the mind that we're supposed to be like is Christ. Okay, be of one mind. Uh, that means at times uh, the word of God and worship and fellowship is going to obliterate you. And at times it'll be someone else. Uh, you need to be in fellowship with the body of Christ and you need to let it change you. If you're coming in here and um, you didn't even know you had an agenda, but the word of God is kind of exposing that and it's grating on you and you're thinking, I don't know how long I can resist this. I'll just give up right now. The word of the God is the thing we need to conform ourselves to, the mind of Christ. We need to have the mind of Christ in us. We're commanded to be of the mind of of Christ. So so make sure you understand that we need to be all of one mind. Now with that, I need to address another thing that has infected and affected Christianity and that's the idea of uniformity. Okay? Uh, Christ never called us to to uniformity. He called us to unity, right? But there's going to be differences. There's going to be differences between Christians and there's going to be differences between denominations. There's going to be things that are expressive of the personalities. Look, we're all of a different ilk. And some people need a very specific, you know, it needs to be extraordinarily formal. When they go to their church, suits and ties and crisp cut, everything's, you know, squeaky clean and looking fantastic. And then there's us. You know, 
I'll say casual, laid back. But you got to understand with this, right? We, we, we look at that and we make certain assumptions. Sometimes, right, we think, oh, they're looking down their noses at us. Sometimes we, in our casual approach, are looking down our noses at them. Okay, so consider that wherever Christ has us in fellowship, that's probably right where we should be. And we can have a profound appreciation for the church next door, the church down the street, right? There's 37 churches in the greater Ellsworth community. And I do mean churches. I'm not including those that claim to be churches and are not, you know, like the Mormons or Universalist Unitarians, you know, not part of Christianity. I'm talking about those that truly are Christians. It doesn't matter that you've chiseled, you know, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, and the stone in the front of your church. Your, your Jesus is a different Jesus. There are 37 different churches here. We're all one church collectively, all of us. You say, oh, well, I've been in that church down the road, and their doctrine's way messed up, probably. And that's between them and the Lord. Unless, of course, our circumstances cross, and then we need to figure out, am I going to be able to minister with these folks? Okay? And that's all it comes down to, right? They believe differently. Well, they all think they're going through uh, the tribulation. Well, we'll explain it to them on the way up. It's okay. Yeah, we don't... Their right to be wrong is secure, as is ours, okay? There, there are going to be different. This, this unity is not uniformity. And we need to recognize that being of the mind of Christ, tell me this, right? Those of us that are slightly more seasoned veterans of this battle we're describing here, are you of a different mind today than you were 5, 10, 50, 25, 30 years ago, okay? But I suspect you're more of the mind of Christ today than you were then, okay? Progress, maturity has taken place, but we are all being conformed into the image of Christ over time. So here, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, Love as brothers. Now, look, I don't know how you loved as brothers, but I had two older brothers. And I I was the stunt pilot on most of the programs we ran. You know what I'm saying? At our house when we were kids, um, we, just to get through the real thought of brotherly love within Christianity, and two, it's a fun story. I Our house... Um, was in this development, and uh, when they built the development, our property had two big hills that met. And to make that circle at the end of our you know, cul-de-sac, they had just pushed the fill in there. And so the back of our yard was what they call one-to-one -one grade, just... Like they didn't do anything to slope it down, just like where the bulldozer stopped and it ran off. So when it was time to go sliding, everyone came to our house. We all, I'm, I'm talking like 50 kids in the backyard of our house sliding. So we had a particular year 
where it had like snowed and rained and frozen and rained and snowed and frozen and rained and frozen. And, and it was literally like three inches of ice. Just the hill, the yard was, you know, it was near, we were skating on the backyard on top of the snow. So uh, we had a winter break, uh, you know, Christmas, February, something. And uh, I had to have been younger than nine. Uh, I went out there with my double runner sled. And I'm going to go down this hill. Well, I get out there and I can't hardly stand up. And I'm watching, you know, other stunt pilots take their run and crash in the bottom in the tree line. And I immediately decide, no way am I doing this. So I mill around and I finally end up sitting way back, laying my sled down. And I'm laying face down, looking down this hill. At everyone else wrecked themselves. My brother, Jeff, has gone down, crashed, gone way off to the side and come up. That's the only way he can come up through the trees. Hang on. He comes up through the trees. And as he's coming toward me, I look over because I'm a little nervous about him going behind me. And he gives me the knowing nod and I give him the nod like, okay. And I look back and now I'm headed down the hill. So I'm on a double runner, and you got some steering controls, right, guys? So I crank the sled, and we skid sideways, and I'm trying to guide where I'm at. And there's a cinder block frozen in the ice near the bottom. And I have no ability to avoid it now. And I run into that thing, and it breaks my double runner sled in half. Breaks the right runner, and the boards underneath me whack, and I black out. I come to, people are all attended to me. The ambulance is there like a minute. So I'm out cold for some time, you know, to the hospital for 35 years. My brother denied pushing me down that hill. <laughs> Under pain of death, hand on the Bible. Swear to God. We're adults. We have children. We're at my mother's house on a Thanksgiving, and I'm telling the story just like I told you. And my brother Jeff says, yeah, and I stepped behind him and shoved him. <laughs> you guys know my mother. She came that high right off the floor. Yo, fly. You just... <sighs> Brothers and sisters don't always love one another in the way you might think they should. You may have conflicts in the church. You are brothers and sisters, and it does need to be sorted out. You know, this idea, like you read this and think, right, you know, we need to be compassionate with one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, courteous, right, sure. But being brothers and sisters, sometimes it takes time to get to the courteousness, to the compassion, to the tenderheartedness. You know, I've raised three daughters. 
watching them interact has been interesting. You know, at times you're thinking, I, I don't know. I don't know if she's going to survive. I just, this could be bad. And then they sort it out. And then you're left stunned. Like, I thought you were going to murder somebody. About what? You know, they, like, what, what are you talking about? It's been fixed. Because they're sisters. We need to have that great courteousness and forgiveness and grace with one another in the body of Christ. That person you're sitting with, the person that you're in the room, you may, they may offend you tremendously. And it may take time. My encouragement is, you know, recognize who your Heavenly Father is. Deal with it if you can. Set it aside if you can't. Don't let it poison you. When the opportunity arises, do everything in your power to correct the circumstances. Love one another. You know, as brothers, tenderhearted, be courteous, right? The world looks on from the outside and goes, well, if that's how Christians behave. And you feel kind of hurt, like, oh, man, that's right. That is a condemnation, and it is a condemnation. But have you noticed how the world acts towards one another? There's no grace there. That I, you've heard me say, right? Those people that always want to complain. I can't go to church. It's just full of hypocrites. Have you hung out in the world? Have you seen the hypocrisy of the people at your job site, in your school? To be human is to be a hypocrite, right? In time, as a believer, that should be being purged out of our character. It should be less and less of who we are as every passing day goes. But this idea of brotherly love, you're going to have to put up with other sinners if you're going to be in the body of Christ. They're going to have weaknesses. They're going to have shortcomings. He, he makes this statement, not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling. Uh, the term reviling um, is uh, very similar in definition. Uh, it's, it's really just a, a different way of saying it, of responding. Okay, and if you think like, I don't, how does that apply? Um, it's it's in like manner. Okay, responding is in like you know you know watch siblings right. You yada yada yada. Well, you yada yada yada. You know, I've watched husbands and wives. Well, what about the time? Well, what about the time? You know. Re you're reiterating, responding. You're, you're reviling. Vile came first, and you're just reviling. You're just kicking it back. Do not do that. This needs to be a thing that we remove from our person, from our conduct from our lives, getting rid of that. Don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing, right? Wickedness repays good with evil, right? Wickedness sees something done that's good, and it responds in a wicked way. 
humanness just responds in kind. Evil for evil or good for good. Goodness responds with goodness for even evil. Overcome evil with good. We need to be of this mindset. And it's very challenging, isn't it? When, when someone has just burned you to the ground. Oh, hey, look. If they were just being a normal human, that would be one thing. But when you look back and realize that whole time I was watching them, they were sharpening their knife. <laughs> and then... And then they sank it into my back when I wasn't looking. Not once, repeatedly, until I was completely down. And then a few more times after that. That's really hard to rise up from and just say within yourself, I'm going to do good. Now, here's the thing. Um, we're called to meditate upon the word of God. Um, Eastern mysticism has popularized the term meditation. And the core of Eastern meditation is about, you know, even when it's relaxation, um, it's about emptying yourself, right? Uh, when you're getting into the real spiritual aspects of Eastern meditation, it's emptying yourself so that the cosmic whatever might fill you. Cosmic consciousness of God, the collective soul of God, the spirit guide, the fill in the blank, right? So empty yourself so that something else might fill you. That's not the scriptural sense of meditation at all, okay? Not at all. And you, in fact, meditate all the time because you were designed to meditate. God designed you that way. You were supposed to meditate upon him. So you do meditate, and you meditate a lot, a lot. But if you aren't concentrating on meditating on the word and the Lord and your relationship with him, then your meditation you know, might go something like this. Oh, they've offended me really badly. So you know what? You know what's going to, the next time I see them, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to walk right up and I'm going to say, and, and then, and then when, if they say that I'm, you're rehearsing, that's meditation. Okay. You say, ah, I think you're stretching it. The term meditation is, the same word that we get chewing the cud from, okay? It, it is to ruminate. So, so, you know, cows eat the grass. Grass has almost no nutrient in it whatsoever. They swallow it, and because they're so disgusting, they belch it all back up and chew it all over again and swallow it and belch it all back up and chew it all over again. They get a lot of nutrient out of grass that is impossible to get any nutrient out of. Okay, uh, point being, it's the idea of taking in and fully digesting and bringing back up completely and 
completely chewing again and redigesting. That's what meditating is. And tell me you haven't done that with arguments and conflicts, right? I've seen you in the car driving down the road, and no one's with you. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I was looking in my mirror, but you know what I'm talking about, right? We're meditating. We are meditating. Okay, so if you know uh, this is messed up, I am literally plotting their death. This is bad. You can forcibly say, what should I be doing? And you can plot how you're going to bless them if the opportunity ever comes. If I see them, I'm going to tell them how much I love them. See, because, tell me you haven't walked into the situation. They haven't even pulled your trigger, but you act like they did, right? You've meditated on the anger so much that you walk into the situation, they say, how's it going? What do you mean by that? And blah, you go on everything that you've meditated upon. You, re you unleash the entire play script that you've developed in your mind. Before they can even respond, to, yeah, well, what about the time? And then you said it, I was thinking, the more I thought about it, and you're just going unleashed on what? You can do the same thing with good. It takes as much effort, maybe more. But the positive effect it has on your person, not just in the moment where you get to deal with a person all the time, right? Worry, anxiety, bitterness. You guys, you got to read some of the studies on what medicine is discovering about the destructive properties this has on the human frame. Destruction of the mind, destruction of the circulation system, destruction of the body. Anger, hate, bitterness, unforgiveness. If we instead, well, just, you don't have to like it, you guys, but you can look at it and go, well, this is the love Christ commanded me to. So I've got to start rehearsing that. How, how would I do that? Right? My, my emotions are not aligned with this truth and this reality at all. But I can align my thoughts, right, right now with Christ. And I can purpose to align my behavior with him if I am ever given the opportunity. That, that will take care of so many problems, not only in the future occasion, but in your present tense. You can rehearse it to the point where it's not even part of your meditation anymore. I've rehearsed this out to the end. I know what I'm going to do. I know how I'm going to behave. I know how I'm going to act in those situations. I hate to quote DC Talk, but, you know, they were the ones that said love is a verb. And it really is. It's an action. It's something you do. It's not an emotion. It is not. It, it's something you do. When you will act upon the mind of Christ.
and behave accordingly. It's so fruitful. So fruitful in you, number one. They may be off stewing in their misery and their bitterness, aiming it all at you, and you've gotten over it. You're in a good place, and you're ready to fix the situation. And they come up and just go off on you, and you're able to respond appropriately. If there's ever a chance to diffuse it, that's going to be the optimal method right there. If you want to throw gasoline on the fire, that, that can produce bad things. Many of us, many of us have done that. Right? No, it would, we'll line up out front. You can talk to us when it's over. You know, about the stupidity that it generates. So, not returning evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. I want the blessing. Do you want? The, I want the. We we all need to want the blessing. You know, you read through Jesus. They come and say, teach us how to pray, and he says, pray like this: Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Forgive me my trespasses, as I forgive those who've trespassed against me. And then Jesus gets to the end of that explanation, and then says, if you do not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. Yeah. Well, hey, I can nullify the program. I'm not interested in. I'm not interested in going through all of this Christianese and getting to the end and getting an F on the report card. No, thank you. I, I want to hear what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. We want the blessing. We want the reward. Verse 10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. And his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are upon their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The face of the Lord is against, um, it does have a connotation of like an angry face looking to you, but it's much more, that's small in the language. It's more the idea of his back is turned to you. <laughs> it's like you'd like to see his face, but it, you know the, you just keep walking around and it just, the face just keeps turning away from you. If, you, if you're going to live contrary to this, you want his ear, you want his eye upon you, and trust me, you do. You know, Chronicles tells us the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking those whose heart is loyal towards him, that he may show himself strong on their behalf. God is not searching the earth with a laser eye, looking for whom he can target with a lightning bolt, which is often the way people think of him, right? Judgmental, angry, prophetic, Eye in the sky, just grease spot. You know that's the, they're thinking that. You know, I hope I hope he doesn't come back right now. I'm screwing him so bad. He he is looking for you in that moment to fix your eyes upon him and say, um, "I'm failing here. Can you lift me up out of myself? Can can you pick me up beyond this and, and help me to be?" What I know is going to fulfill me, right? He who would love life and seek good days. Look, the older I get, the more that's what I want. You know, in my extreme youth, 
I was convinced that what I wanted was an adrenaline-fueled existence every waking moment of my life. And it would be better if I never slept. And now, I, I am so much the grandfather, it's just stupid. Yeah. I end up on the phone with Abigail the other day. And, uh, you know, it's just a passing conversation. I say, hey, wait, what are you doing? Because I'm not doing nothing. I'm just working around the house. Could you come over with the boys, grandsons, hang out, play games, watch, you know, just hang out with a peace, quiet, fulfillment, you know, love life, good days. You want that? Refrain your tongue. There's a proverb that says, in the abundance of words, sin is not lacking. If, if we would just learn to be quiet. <laughs> Was that, that's for you? Gotcha. Note to self. Steve, I'll write that right there. Okay, yeah, you got it, man. Yeah. Boomerang. That one came right back around to you. So anyway, um, refrain and, and be quiet and peaceable. Let him turn away from evil. Do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And then this idea... I want God's eyes upon me. You should want God's eyes upon you. Looking to you to help you, support you, care you, provide for you. I need him to see the stuff I'm doing. Have you ever felt like that? Like he's not even watching. Look at the junk I'm going through. What you're saying in that moment, if that accusation has been in your heart, is I want God looking at my problem and helping. And what he's saying right here is, if you live this way, then you'll have my focus and my attention. I, I will pay attention to what your needs are. You know, there are inappropriate ways to gain his attention. Right? We say that about kids, don't we? Right? They're misbehaving. They say, I'm just looking for attention. No, they're asking for a spanking. You know, that's what's going on there. Hey, Listen. You know, I'm not going to go way off on this, but when the scripture says foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, the rod of correction drives it far from them. Okay. The rod is not spanking and, and abuse, right? That's the staff that the shepherd would use, right? The rod of correction to say to the dumb sheep, get out of that, right? You're almost ready to be shorn, your, your wool weighs so much right now that if you fell over, you wouldn't be able to stand yourself up. You get in that mud, <laughs> and I'm going to need a tractor to get stay out of that, right? The, the Lord is guiding us out. Foolishness bound up in the heart of the child. Uh, wait a minute. This foolishness is the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Children are born as Satanists. I don't know if you know that. People are like, they're essentially good. Have you hung out with them? Because they're not. No, you need a tour of duty in the nursery if you think children are essentially good. You know, I've prevented murders in that room. I'm not, I'm not even joking. You know, steel Tonka truck above the head, kind of just cave somebody's skull in all over a ball. You know. Screaming mad, red in the face, veins standing out of a two-year-old's neck. That's weird, man. 
You've, you've seen it. They, they kind of go gray and then turn red, and their voice starts in a range you can't hear, and it starts shaking your nervous system and then comes down and shatters glass. and rah, They're freaking out, screaming, mine! You know, it's weird. If they could kill you, they would. They're filled with rage and selfishness, right? Anton LaVey wrote the Satanic Bible. One commandment for Satanists, right? Ten in Exodus 20 for believers. One in the Satanic Bible. Do whatever you want. That will be the whole of the law. All you got to do to be a dyed-in-the-wool, hardcore Satanist is do whatever you want. Do it, You don't have to sacrifice goats or chickens in the backyard or anything like that. You can go to college and be top of your class and go into the business world and be the number one success financially of anyone on the planet. Just pursuing what you want. Selfish ambition listed as a work of the flesh. Right? It's strange how people get these things screwed up in their mind. The Lord wants to support us and help us to be delivered from these things. To leave behind all of this wickedness. To leave behind the things that naturally beset a human being. We come into this world, we, we use the term steeped, steeped in sin, right? It's kind of a lost term in our culture, to steep tea, right? Yeah. Nice hot water, put the tea bag in there, and tea just permeates everything. The longer you leave it, you know, the more it becomes tea-like. Be very strong if you put in a bunch of bags and leave it there for a long time. I've hung out with Englishmen that every cup of tea has two bags. Boiling, has to be boiling water. You know, has to sit in there for five minutes. You drink that tea, buddy, and it'll wake you right up. And they're having tea time about every hour. You know, it's just they're jacked right up on caffeine. Steeped in sin. We enter this world steeped in sin. Our parents were sinners. Oh, it skips a generation. My uncle was a, yeah, no, it doesn't skip any generations. No. No, it's probably mathematically multiplied. <laughs> it's horrendous. No. Look deep inside your heart. If, if you can stand up right now and confess, if you can stand up right now and confess the darkest thing that has ever entered your heart and mind, I would be stunned. <laughs> right? Most of you, if, the, if you had a button I could push that would automatically make you do that, I push the button and you're going to stand up and just belt out your darkest secret. Right? You would fight me off for all your worth and charge out the door before anybody could touch that. The wickedness that's in our heart is frightening. Frightening. Every one of our hearts. It's frightening. And we need the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus is saying that about our nature when he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Why? Because you were born a creep. You're horrendous. You're horrible. The best of us is terrible. We need to be born again. We need to be something other than the nature that we came into this world with. Leave it all behind. Stop. Seek the peace. Seek my face. Look to live in such a way 
that I'm not appalled by you, that I don't turn my face away, right? Yeah, you, I'm sure you've seen things in your life that you weren't expecting to see and they were so hideous that they caused you to wrench your vision away, you know? Oh, look, a car accident. Don't look. Never mind. You know, just your face turns away from what you've seen. It's that shot. That's the Lord is perfect. That, that right? We get cynical. We get tainted. He never is. He's always perfect, perpetually perfect. He looks at you, looks at my failure, and his face is lurched away. I don't want him to have to do that. I, I want my nature changed. I want these things cleansed out of my life. Finally, brethren, all of you need to be of one mind, the mind of Christ. How do you do that? You live compassionate, kind, caring. Get rid of the garbage. The weak message that's being preached by Christianity today, you guys. The weak message that's being delivered to the church. Oh, God's gracious. He'll just put up with you. Yeah, okay. We'll have that discussion on another, another level. But how about the fact that we're turning his face away from us continuously? I want his face shining directly upon me at all times. I do not want to offend him and have him turn his gaze from me. What a shameful moment, right? For the bride of Christ to have the groom look upon her and have him lurch his face away. That's a <clears throat> shameful thought. Beautiful thing, right? He's cleansed us from our past, so we don't have to be burdened by that, right? We don't have to think, oh, right, he's constantly covering his eyes in shame. Because of my college years. We don't have to think like that. If you have confessed your sin, and I just mean generically, Lord, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. That's all washed away. And now it comes down to the moment to moment walking with him. Obeying him. Letting him continue to bless us. He who loves life and would see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears upon their prayers. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now let's jump back and, and hear the end of verse, well, let's read all of verse 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them, wives, that is, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, the more fragile, the more valuable crystalline glass, you know, something that's very precious, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Why, why would I want to do anything to stop my prayers, slow down my prayers, hinder my prayers? I want that crystal clear connection. Isn't it annoying to try to have a phone call with someone when you're in a place and your cell phone reception is such that you have to stand exactly in the right place, in the right pose? Isn't that annoying? I don't know about you, but when I talk on a phone, I tend to walk. 
I walk around. I'll be like sitting, working, doing, pick up the phone and start talking. Before I know it, I'm at the other end of the house and I'm just turning around and headed back. I'm just walking and talking. Why? I have no idea. So, and, and with bad reception, that, that ha today I'm trying to talk to Mike Archer. I'm at Calvary Chapel, Bangor. I'm on the phone with Mike. I need very specific instructions about how to look for a thing. And I walk into his office looking for this and uh, lose the phone call. And, I, and, of course, it happens every time I walk in this office. And I walk out with the hopes because if I get back out in the lobby quickly enough, sometimes it will reconnect. And sure enough, no, gone. Phone calls on. I don't, I don't, I don't want my connection with the Lord like that. In, out, dropping out. Oh, I'm in the wrong place. And no signal here. You know, we, we need the continuous connection with the Lord. So now that I've beat that dead horse long enough, three verse thirteen. And who is he will who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Uh, I have said to us many, many times. The worst thing that the unbelieving world could possibly do to you is the best thing they could ever do to you. The worst thing they could possibly do is kill you. And darn, I get to be in the presence of the Lord. You know. Yeah, we always concentrate on, oh, the loss and the things I wanted to do and I won't be able to fulfill. Look, if you've stepped from this miserable place into his presence, granted, the transition might have been very sinful and very tragic, but now you're in the presence of the Lord. So big deal. Who cares at that point? Once you've crossed the threshold, I insist. I don't know that it's true. It's my own speculation. Shortest verse in the Bible, John 11.35 says, Jesus wept when he was about to go resurrect Lazarus. Okay, now here's my deal. Jesus is God, and he knows he's about to go resurrect Lazarus. Look, <clears throat> If your best friend just died and you know in your mind, in your heart, you have the power to go resurrect them, no question. You know for certain I'm going to go resurrect my friend. If you know that, are you going to be crying? No. Right? You're, you're, if you're crying, it's going to be tears of joy. Right? Jesus is mournful, sorrowful crying. I'm convinced personally, it's just my conviction. I can't support this doctrinally, biblically, scripturally. I'm convinced Jesus is crying because he's got to bring Lazarus back to this miserable place. Lazarus has made it into the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's in the presence of the Lord. Jesus didn't go to hell. We're going to talk about that when we get here, right? Into your hands I commend my spirit. Right? To leave the body, be in the presence of the Lord. I am convinced Jesus was mournful over the fact. Not only is he bringing Lazarus back, right, but resurrect the poor guy. Welcome back. By the way, these guys are going to kill you. Welcome back to your murder conspiracy. And history tells us they murdered Lazarus for having been resurrected by Jesus Christ. It makes sense, right? How absurd. 
the worst thing. Uh, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? What can they do to you? Oh, they can ostracize you. Well, that would be horrendous, wouldn't it? You won't be part of their club. Oh, my. How will you ever survive? Is this not the way of the world? Right? <laughs> Daughters. <clears throat> I was unaware of it, but when they were little, apparently the greatest insult that you could offer your little friends when you were little was to say, I'm not inviting you to my birthday party. Right? I mean, that, that was raw gangster right there. I had no idea. But it's the way of the world, isn't it? We reject you. Wholesale, we want. You are not one of us. Yeah, I already knew that. If we are committed to Christ, then, then we already have the mentality that I am not part of this world. I am rejected by this world. This world hates me. If that's not your mindset, then you need to seriously consider where are you at with Christ? Because Christ assured us if we were his followers, then the world would hate us. We, we have to live in this mindset. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, and he makes strong contrast here, right? Because most of us in this room, not all of us, most of us in this room have suffered for our own stupidity. Okay. And he's going to make a strong contrast between, you know, you, you suffer for your own stupidity easily enough. If you're suffering for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Sanctify the Lord. Set him apart in the most honorable position in your life, your heart, and your mind. Sanctify him. Don't intermingle him with worldly things. He needs to have a place that is holy in your heart, your mind, your life, even your behavior. The Lord needs this sanctification, not for himself, for your sake. That, that you're putting him in proper place. That you're venerating him in the way that he should be. It's something that's very distinct and very important. Uh, Evan and I uh, were having a conversation tonight about Christian music. And there's just a lot of junk in Christian music. And both of us were noting to one another, we have both taken note of the fact that a lot of what Christian music, the most popular Christian music today is, is very sensual. Okay, and what I mean by that is it's only reaching for your emotion. You know, get an old hymnal and read. Can't do that. Open up Psalms and read and really let your mind absorb the depth of holiness that is there and the reverence for Christ and for God. It's, it's a very different sense of worship. A lot, a lot of what is described in worship today is 
oh, how God is affecting me and how I just love this experience I'm presently having. It's stirring me emotionally. It's stirring me physically. I, you know, uh, you know I forget the song. Uh, I've only heard it a few times. I was so offended by it. Wildly popular just a little over a year ago, talking about how now that they've reached an elated state of worship, now the Holy Spirit can do his work. The Holy Spirit can do his work when the place is filled with sinful rage in opposition to him. He can still do his work, right? You're not going to thwart God. A lot of what is worship music is focused on the worshiper, not the article being worshipped. It's very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. If we're, if we're always doing that, then we've never lifted our finger off from our own pulse and put it on God's pulse. What is affecting him? Right? It's hard to say, I, I just, I pour my heart out in raw honesty to the Lord. Really? Yeah. How about, can you sing, I surrender all? I, I don't think any of us can actually sing that properly. It's, it's proper that we sing it, okay? Sanctifying the Lord in your heart, your mind, and your life is quite a task. You have to examine yourself. You've got to look across your life. You've got to realize where you are and where you are not. It takes effort. If, if we're approaching this whole thing of faith as though I'm just looking for the thing that's just going to thrill my heart. This whole point right here is the world's going to hate your gut. Good news. <laughs> you too can be hated. <clears throat> right? The gospel message, good news, gospel, good news. Good news, the world's going to hate you. And if it doesn't hate you, there's something wrong with you as a believer. This is what the scripture is telling us. <clears throat> I'm not saying go out and find ways to make the world hate you. That's really easy to do. Just drive, you know, the way you normally do. Okay, the way I normally do. Just <clears throat> it's easy to make the world hate you. I'm talking about when you live peaceably in Christ with your faith functioning the way that it should. You're going to be an offense to the world. They're going to despise you. Make sure that you have your heart aligned with the fact that this is what the Lord wants from you. Sanctifying the Lord in your heart. Always be ready to give a defense. Everyone, look, you don't have to be an apologist. You don't have to study and have all of the details down, know all your bullet points. Somebody pulls the trigger and you just got, you know, 15 responses to, and you know all of the arguments. Uh, one of the most impressive men of Christian faith in my life as a young believer, I, I was fresh out of jail, fresh out of addiction, you know, newly married, newly a father, newly being responsible and holding a job, just doing tree work. Ken Graves and I working 
on this job, this company together, Crimson King Tree Service. And <clears throat> there's an old man there with us. And raw, burly, sino, 70 years old, Blaine, Blaine Maycumber. And uh, this this guy could work as hard as us. We're in our 20s. And, and he was still going bare-knuckle boxer in Boston, the 50s. You know, fell out of a tree uh, on, uh, I think it was French Street in the 70s during the Dutch Elm disease. You know, like dead, not going to survive. Nope, survives, you know, as a believer, you know, telling the doctors I'm going to be fine. They're like, yeah, you're going to be a vegetable. <laughs> he's like, no, you know, well, you'll never walk again. Now he's walking, you know, and he's back working with us in the 90s doing tree work. Incredible guy of faith. We get into these big, you know, debates of Christianity and philosophy and just go round and round all this stuff trying to convince our coworkers, you know, and, you know, then say to Blaine, like, uh, you know, like, chime in here. What do you think? And he'd say, I know one thing. Jesus is God. There's no other. But you know, just like, what was I arguing about? <laughs> Everything I was saying was meaningless. They, it, give a defense. Be ready to give a defense. In any situation, Jesus is God. There's no other. Keep it simple, stupid. I mean, just, uh, you don't have to know. Uh, I can't really, I don't know those things. You know John 3.16, right? God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, who shall believe in him, not perish, but have everlasting life. Boom, there's your whole defense. <laughs> I am a sinner and needed forgiveness. The one who created me died for me and gave me forgiveness. You can have it too. There's your message. You know, if you expand upon that profoundly for years and years and decades and decades and decades, wonderful. Great. You might get lost, you know, in the forest because of all the trees along the way, but uh, you need to be ready to give a defense. Don't clam up. Please don't clam up. Don't, don't shut down. Don't say nothing, right? Denial by omission. That's a dangerous practice. Boldly declare that you're a believer. Be ready to make your statement. And when they call you freak, and when they say ill of you, call you unscientific and closed-minded, you know, whatever it is they say. You don't then have to go on a big rant about creation versus evolution or things you don't know about. Just stand your ground. Because it's about you and your relationship with the Lord, not about you convincing them. Give defense for the hope. The hope is you were a wretch headed to hell, and Christ delivered you from that. And that's all you need to declare to the world. If you learn and you get skilled and you declare much more, praise God. Praise God. In meekness and fear. The fear is not of them. The fear is of God. You need to function in fear. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like to think of God in a fearful way. You probably should. Eternity is at stake. He does hold your eternity in his hands. The beautiful thing is that you don't have to tremble in fear and fear as the world does. If you've surrendered your life to Christ, then you are saved, right? You are saved. Not based upon your skills your strengths and your abilities based upon his.
based upon his. As a teenager, I was a lifeguard, and uh, we go through extensive training. And one of the first things that we learn is to not entangle ourselves with the drowning victim. Okay? I mean, they, they never stop. And when they're giving you statistics, like 40% of rescuers die trying to rescue other people, that is a statistic I don't like. Okay, You swim out to a drowning victim, if they get within reaching distance of you, they will try to climb on top of your head and use you as a flotation device. It's freakish. So you learn, right? <clears throat> you swim out to them, you quick reverse, you're 20 feet away, and you start trying to communicate. This really does pertain to what we're saying. Okay? If in their panic they begin to flail and come towards you, you quick reverse and you just swim backwards and continue to talk to them. And they may make it all the way to shore with you. And they may feel like, I rescued myself. No, they did that because you went out there. Your quick thinking, training, capability rescued them. If they're exhausted, you help them swim back in. The rescuer that goes, they were lost. They were lost in their circumstance. There was no hope. It's not like panic and drown and scream and throw up. And you know what? I'm just going to swim ashore. That doesn't happen. That's not drowning. When a person is in the death throes of struggle like that, their rescuer, no matter how they sort it out later in their mind, their rescuer is responsible. So it, it, what they're teaching us is like, don't think you've always got to grab a hold of that person. Because your presence can guide them into safety. Jesus Christ is solely responsible for your rescue. Right? You may have the mindset like, no, I came to my senses. And I've done a whole bunch of things that took me from where I was to where I am. No, no, Jesus got you there. Jesus Christ is your savior. He saved you. And without him, no. No, what happens if he just leaves you where you are <laughs> right now? Oh, you've done it. You've done a good, good job. All right. See you at the white throne. No, thank you. Right. He's not going to do that. I'm just trying to paint the picture for us to understand that Christ is the one who is responsible for your salvation. So you don't have to live in fear of, oh, I messed up really bad today. I started out okay, but then so-and-so pushed my buttons, and I went off. And I can't believe what came out of my mouth. Okay, you can't. And you are a jerk. And you need to repent, and you need to ask for forgiveness, and you need to inquire of the Lord's strength to change you and not do that again. Right, all of those things apply. But you didn't nullify your salvation. Christ saved you, right? Because if you're thinking along those lines, then what you're in fact saying is, I'm saving myself. Right? The days I don't swear, the days I don't punch people in the face, I'm saved. That's what I'm saved. When I do, 
my salvation evaporates immediately. No. No, it doesn't. You should not punch people in the face and you should not swear. <laughs> right. Right. That definitely needs to stop. Those, whatever blatant sin your mind is creating right now, right? Those things do need to stop. This is what Peter is saying in these previous verses. That stuff needs to go. But Christ is your salvation. Not you and your perfect little walk. It's nice when it's good. And it's nice when we feel good about how it is good. That's, that's great. But Christ is our salvation. He is the one who brings us to this place. Be ready to give the defense. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as an evildoer, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. It better be, it better be that when people say ill of you, it's false. It's not true, right? There's enough we do that we are sinners. That can be verified. But when people say wicked things to renounce you, it better be false. It better not stick for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil of course you're going to suffer if you do evil right we've all experienced that you you sow to the flesh and you reap rot corruption have you meditated on that no have you experienced it no have you have you ever opened the refrigerator and immediately recognized there is bad hamburger in here. And as you dig deeper, it gets much worse until you find the culprit and you can barely hang on to get rid of and dispose. And then you've got to sanitize. Like, oh, it has defiled the refrigerator. Right? That is the corruption that Paul is telling us. You sow to the flesh, you will reap. What you're going to harvest is rot. No, thank you. Not interested. You know, have you ever seen a dog roll in rot? And then come back into the house like, hey, you won't believe what I found in the yard. And you're kicking for all your worth and throwing and just get out of the Hey, we're like that. <clears throat> you find something of the flesh and like, yeah, I was going to resist, but, you know, in the end, I just smeared my whole person in this filth. We do. And listen, we need to be repulsed by that. We need to be repulsed by that. We want Christ's face to shine upon us. We want his ear inclined to us. We do not want to exist in our sin and have him yank away. The suffering we're going to experience needs to be for the good we're doing, not because we're just being our plain old filthy rotten self. That comes way too easy to us. But let it be that what Peter's describing here about, yeah, go, go back to where we said, finally, 
all of you be of one mind, the mind of Christ. Get rid of that which is putrid. Live according to the mind of Christ. Does that summary make sense to us this evening? Pray to God that we would each inquire of the Lord for his strength to live this way, right? You learn it, you hear it, you know it, but then you got to go out and put boots on this thing. You got to walk this out. Pray to God we'd have the strength to do so. Amen? Amen. All right. So I did all of that so I could avoid this really touchy subject uh, in, you know, verse 18 and following. So, no. It's just that uh, if I wade into that, there's so much to discuss. I want to save it for a separate study. So you can read ahead and have your mind blown and be perplexed, and we'll come back together hopefully next week. Or not, we'll just be in the presence of the Lord, in which case, you know, I'll see you there. So let the Lord bless you throughout the week. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, we thank you again for the scripture, for your love, for your grace, for your Holy Spirit. Help us to be men and women that are surrendered to you, Lord. Help us to be ready to give a defense, complex or simple, whatever it may be, that our hearts and minds would be aligned with you and that we would accomplish your will. Use us as your children, your representatives, your ministers in this sick and dying world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.